You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Yeah, it's been weird seeing y'all some places. Y'all are like shocked to see me just as I'm shocked to see you. And whenever, uh, it's been, it's been interesting. Becky and I have talked about this. The kids and I have talked about it. Like this, this word sabbatical. And, uh, it's been a training really for many of you. Like what is the sabbatical? What is that word? And all that different stuff. And <clears throat> college professors are probably most known for taking them. Like there, there's a guy I know right now that's actually getting a year long sabbatical as a professor. And I'm like, sign me up. But no, I'm just kidding. But it's this time away to control all delete to reset and and one of the things is um, probably I told Becky it was after July fourth. It's probably middle of July. Like I realized I could feel the responsibility, the all the different things that come with pastoring, kind of wash away for a little bit. And it was good. It was a very restful uh, two days before it went, what came back, but. <clears throat> Um, but it was good, and it was good to, we, we intentionally went away. I got some time in Israel, I got some time in Colorado, some different places, and, and um, I, I have learned that if I don't want to see, some, it's interesting, okay, I, I don't know what this says, but if I don't want to see somebody, I can go to Walmart at certain hours of the day, but I can never go to ATB because it will be like a five-hour event. So I don't know what that is, but that's a whole other study in in sociology or whatever, but it's been good. And every once in a while, I would see some of you. It's also interesting, like you can go out to eat in Giddings and not see anybody, but you go to somewhere to eat in LaGrange and you'll see everybody. And once, actually, I was in Giddings eating and I turned a corner and I saw somebody and we were both like, oh, you know, like we were shocked and stuff. But um, anyway, it's a weird uh, word, that sabbatical thing. And um, as I was thinking about this song that we just sang it's a song about worship, and I don't know if you know any of the history of the song. It's been around for a few years now, but um, it was the worship pastor that wrote the song. His name is Matt Redman, and he's a well-known worship leader today, but back in the day, um, whenever he was younger, he was at a church in England, and um, the people actually started coming to church. I mean, obviously the preacher was good, right? But one of the things that was drawing people in was the worship. And so there actually got to this place where there was actually one Sunday where there was a sense of the people were worshiping worship, if that makes sense. Like the songs, the moments, the feeling, all those different things, whatever that is, there was a worship of that. And so the pastor, the worship leader, the elders kind of got together and said, this is not what God wants is for us to worship worship, but to worship God, right? That's the purpose of the songs. And so they instilled a time of silence for several months. So in the time that used to be singing of songs, it was a time of silence unless the Lord laid on your heart to say something. And so it became a time of prayer and of other things. And one day, many months later, this song came out of that experience. The heart of worship. I have nothing else to bring but my life. I have nothing less to bring other than my heart, my soul. What, as Romans 12 says, you know, I'm, I'm a living sacrifice. I'm, I'm giving you what I've got. And it's not much, but here's 
what I've got. And I, the thing that I think that we should capture from that is that so many times, we even say it here sometimes, is let's worship when we are going to start singing. And so almost this encouragement that singing is worship. And it is, but it's part of it. So the opening up of the word, as we're doing here in just a second, that's worship. When you go to school this week, that's worship. When you go to work this week, that's worship. And the reason that it's worship is because when you said yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God has taken residence with inside of you. And so you don't just enter into this place as a temple. This is a place where we gather to acknowledge who God is and be encouraged and be centrifuged out because of that. But You now, as a follower of Jesus, are a temple of the living God. And so God resides with inside of you. So everywhere you go and everything you do is an act of worship, which is can be scary. Because not everything we do and everything we say is very worshipful. And so for us to to say, hey, I want to be a worshiper of God 24-7 is kind of weird. Because there's going to be moments where you're going to have to do some things that are countercultural. That others would say, ah, why are they doing that? And you're saying, listen, I'm in this moment as a follower of Jesus. I'm being obedient. And so you might look weird. So over these next few weeks, that's what we're going to be thinking about this idea of what does it look like for us to be weird. We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel. And Daniel was a... A young man who we see his life from the time that he was about 13 years of age to past 70 years of age. And um, one of the things that I want us to be encouraged by the life of Daniel is that in a world that is not that is not for Jesus, in a culture that is not for Jesus, we can stand for Jesus. Okay, that you can have the courage, you can have the ability, you can have be inspired, you can be whatever that is that you need to hear. That God is in control, even when we cannot see the evidence. And when God asks you to stand strong in a moment, He can empower you to do it. And wants you to do it. So this idea of weird. Weird, I want you to grasp the, the biblical idea behind that is of strange, of supernatural, of extraordinary character. That as we'll see in Daniel, that there were some moments where he was weird. He went against what everyone else was thinking and saying, and it was strange. It was supernatural. It wasn't something that he could do on his own without the presence and power of God in him and through him. And also extraordinary character that because of his extraordinary character, people were drawn to his God, and he will see a little bit later on that he's had a, a more of a major impact on our life and faith than even we could have imagined. So Daniel grew up in Judah, which is the southern kingdom of Israel. At some point, King David was king, and everything was great, and they all became one. And then after David, there was King Solomon, and it became even bigger and bigger and bigger. And then his sons messed it up. And because they messed it up, the one kingdom became two kingdoms, and there was the northern side, and there was the southern side, and there was the northern side was ten tribes, the southern side were two tribes, and it became known as Judah, the southern side. And so we're dealing with Daniel and his friends that came out of the southern side of the kingdom of Judah. And so Daniel 
growing up in the southern side of Judah, and it became so bad in Israel. This is, this is kind of crazy to even think about. It became so bad in Israel and in Judah is that they didn't go to the temple anymore. And one day, King Josiah, who was the new king, said, hey, we need to clean out the temple. It's gotten dirty. We don't go. We don't check it out. And so they were cleaning out the temple and cleaned out some closets and found the scrolls. They found the word of God. They hadn't been going to worship. And so they found the scrolls and Josiah was like, we need to read these to the people. And so Josiah was a young man as a king. And so that part of Israel, Judah began to have reforms because of King Josiah, because of the reading of the word and by trying to also live by the word. And so King Josiah was known as a king that brought reform. He brought Political reform, he brought social reform, and he brought religious reform. And the nation of Judah was growing and surviving, and even more importantly, was thriving. And you can see a little bit of that in Second Kings 23 and following of things that he did. But, but as things go, Josiah leading his nation into battle was killed in Egypt. And whenever he was killed in Egypt, one of his family members took over King Jeho- Jehoiakim. So if you're thinking about names for your kids, there's one for you. Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim became king, and within three years, he had ruined Judah. It was in disarray, it was in chaos, the social, the political, the religious reform had all kind of been messed up. And in 609 B.C., so before Christ, 609, Jehoiakim lost his reign because King Nebuchadnezzar came in and besieged Jerusalem. So you can imagine the chaos. And Daniel... And his buddies were some of those young men that were a part of that. And what happened was Nebuchadnezzar would take the young men that were smart, that were good looking, that could possibly be in the royal court. They would take them and bring them to his capital and would train them up. He'd bring the good women, good looking women. And everybody else just kind of scattered. So you can imagine the chaos of this place. Nobody knew it was happening. And it kind of feels like today. No one's in control. Nobody knows what, who's doing what. Everything's just kind of going whatever. And a place that had once thrived... Everyone is asking, what's next? Are we going to survive or are we going to make it? So in the midst of this, this Daniel and his friends were weird. They did something strange. They did something supernatural. They did something that required extraordinary character. So you can imagine their world, their country, their state, their neighborhood is different, if not gone. And they're in a whole new place. And so now they're asking the question, now what? Does that sound familiar? We live in a different world. So if you have your Bibles, some on the screen, whatever you got, your phones, all those newfangled things, follow along with me in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the midst of this chaos, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it, took it over. Here's some interesting thing I want you to grasp. Even though we think that God is not at work, he's actively doing his job. We're going to see that right here. The Lord gave. Who gave? The Lord. Lord. As a matter of fact, here it says, you underline whatever, that word is Adonai. It's a character of Yahweh. It's a name of Yahweh. It means the sovereign one. The one who's in control. The one who cannot be overthrown. Okay? So the one who cannot be overthrown, the, uh, the sovereign one gave victory to Nebuchadnezzar. 
So here Daniel's wanting people, us to understand that, listen, Nebuchadnezzar may have physically won battle, but he didn't win unless God handed it over to him. Because they're the children of God. So the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted, again, handed over to him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So God gave him two things. One, he gave him victory over the land in Israel, Jerusalem and, and southern Judah. But he also gave him something very important. He permitted him to take some of the things of worship, objects of worship out of the temple and take it to his new place. So Nebuchadnezzar took them, these new things, these objects of worship, back to the land of Babylonia, and they placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now his God, the name of his God is Baal, B-E-L, or Nabu, or Marduk. Now when I say the word Marduk, I always think of that dog, Marmaduke. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, and so that's not a God to be worshipped. I mean, you're not going to worship your dog. And so that's, that's in my crazy mind, that's what I think about. And so imagine a temple for Marduk, and they have all these different things of worship, and they bring the things from the temple of Yahweh, the anointed one, and they bring it to their temple, and they just kind of leave it laying around. And so what Nebuchadnezzar is saying to the people of Israel is, my God, Baal, Marduk, is stronger than your God. But what he doesn't realize is God permitted him to do that. That the only reason he could take those things was because God, the sovereign one, allowed it to happen. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, again a wonderful name for your son, as chief of staff to bring some of the palace to the palace, some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. And he tells them, select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men. In other words, there can be... No blemishes. They have to be, whenever someone looks at them and they like, they, they got muscles, there's not, they are without blemish so that they could be in the royal court. These are offerings in reality. Make sure they are well versed, that they're intelligent in every branch of learning. So they needed to know science. They needed to know astrology. They needed to know the wisdom of the day. They needed to know mathematics. Everything that was available to them, they needed to be well versed and have a beginning place. And these are young men that are between the ages of 13 and 15. Okay, so 8th, ninth, 10th grade, somewhere in there. And are gifted with knowledge and good judgment. Which is rare in 13, 14, 15 year old boys, right? So here we are. And suited to serve in the royal palace. So these young men would train in the language and literature of Babylon. In other words, what he's saying is, I want to bring the best of the best, bring them into my court, and I want to, them to not be Judahites, I don't want them to be Hebrews, I don't want them to be Israelites, I want them to be so immersed in our learning and our culture and everything that they are now, think of themselves as Babylonians or Chaldeans. Well, to change the way they think, the way they eat, the way they do things so that everyone looks at them and says they are Babylonians, not from Israel. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. That's going to be good stuff. They would be trained for three years, and then they would enter into the royal service. So Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men that were chosen, and all of them were from the tribe of Judah. And the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was named Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was named Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Now, my kids, whenever they're young, said, I bet I go, you know, never mind. Daniel, Hebrew name means who's my judge. Belteshazzar 
Obtained into that means protect his life. So protect God's life. The other one, Hananiah, is Yahweh is gracious. Shadrach means the command of Aku. And Aku was the second god in their order. And it was the moon god, the god of the moon. Uh, Mishael, who is like Yahweh. Mishak, who is like Aku. So again, you can see how they're changing. And they're trying to change their identity. They're giving them food. They're changing their name. educating them. And Azariah is Yahweh helps. And Abednego means helper of Nabu, which is the main God. So he's a helper of Nabu. The reverse of Yahweh helps. And so you can see how God is shifting the way that they think and the way they do things. That's verse 8. Now verse 9. But, now this is what I call that big butt syndrome. So here's all these different things and then but. There's going to be a huge shift in things. There's going to be a huge shift in the story. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating of the food and wine and given, that was given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff, for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now in your Bibles or however you do things, like underline it, circle it, that word determine is an important word. Daniel determined. He made a choice. He counted the costs. He saw what could possibly be and he made a choice beforehand. Maybe even in some ways we probably should say predetermined. A decision and a choice was made. He knew that there was going to come a time he'd left Israel, he's now in Babylon. His friends got together and they said, hey, there's going to be a moment in time where we're going to be asked to do something that we know is contrary to our faith and our life and our belief in Yahweh. And what are we going to do about it? And those guys got together and they predetermined that their answer was going to be no. Now think about it. How could a 13, 14, 15 year old predetermine that when moral courage was needed, they could say no. That here's the line. I'm saying no, I'm not going to cross it. Many of us have been there. As adults, as young people, there's been moments where we've predetermined, hey, if this life situation ever comes to me, I will not cross this line. And we have. And therefore, we have pain, shame, regrets, baggage. And I believe that one of the reasons that we cross that line is, one, because we don't believe that God's going to be faithful to us when we step back and say no. We're afraid of peer pressure of, well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they crossed. So we feel alone. And I believe that this is the crucial point for most of us. Is that as followers of Jesus, we've predetermined some things. And we look around us and we feel alone and don't realize that there are friends next to us that are wanting to stand back to back with us. And have courage together to not cross over some places that we know that maybe not even right or wrong, but are not life-giving for us. But that together we can withstand the pressure to make the right decisions even when everyone else is going. That we can be weird. And be strange and have extraordinary character in those moments because we're standing together. And part of this too is for us as adults that have crossed over. And to be honest and transparent in the right places, in the right way and say, listen, I had predetermined to not do X and I did it and I have X because of that. 
And I want to give you courage. I want to put courage in you that, listen, it is worth, even if you are the only one standing, it is worth not crossing. So that you don't have the baggage and stuff that I carry around and the counselor bill that there was, whatever it may be that we're carrying around because of X. But Daniel was determined to stand strong. And it's just food, but this food he understood was being offered to Nebu or Baal or Marduk. And he's like, we're not going to, we're going to give up that food. Even though the world tells us it's the best food, it's not the best food for me. It's not the best food for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So together we're going to stand and we're going to come up with a, a win-win situation. And this requires maturity and discipline. And this is, again, one of those things for us, too, as we grow up in the faith, is that we have to understand it requires maturity and discipline to say no to some of those things. The maturity to say no and the discipline to keep saying no. It's like going to the gym. The maturity to get up when you need to get up to go and to get into the discipline to do it. And when you get into the discipline to do it, you realize, hey, some maturity happens. So if you go to the gym for a couple of weeks, all of a sudden a muscle fiber might sprout. All of a sudden a little bit of extra cheese burritos begin to melt off. And you're like, wow, because of the maturity to have the discipline to do X, I'm seeing results. There's maturity of muscle. There's maturity happening. And so therefore that discipline and that maturity leads you to desire more maturity. But if you want to keep growing in your muscles, if you want to keep losing cheese burritos, guess what happens? You can't maintain the same workout. I'm a perfect example. You got to lift more. You gotta lift differently. You gotta train muscles that you didn't even know you had. You gotta stretch yourself. You gotta do some things so that you can continue to discipline yourself, to mature yourself, to discipline yourself, to mature yourself. That is life and faith in Christ. Is that as we grow in Christ, there's gonna be more and more opportunities for us to say, listen, I have predetermined to say no to the things of the world. I'm weaning myself from the appetites that once Maybe provided me significance, but I don't need them anymore. Maturity and discipline to keep growing in the faith. For young people, they need us to show them that it's possible. That we can say no. Or those moments where we've said yes and we've predetermined to be honest and say, listen, you don't want to deal with the stuff that I've had to deal with because I've crossed over. So here Daniel and his friends are trying to be faithful, even though it seems God has been unfaithful to them. Because they had a plan back home, but now they're not home, and now they're in this different place. And so it would be easy to be bitter toward God because he hasn't fulfilled Daniel's plan to be in the court of Josiah and to reach the places that he wanted in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But here they are in this other land, and they could be bitter, but they choose to be faithful, even though it may seem that God had been unfaithful. And listen what happened. So now... God had given, again, you can see the sovereignty of God. God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Now this God gave means that he empowered, he gave over, okay? And this word respect is hesed, which is Yahweh's favor. In other words, as this chief of staff saw Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he saw them not with his own eyes, but he saw them with the eyes that God had given him. 
Wow, that's pretty powerful. So Daniel and his friends are faithful. And so then this guy who doesn't know Yahweh sees Daniel and his friends through the eyes of Yahweh. And has respect for them because they're standing strong. Because he knows in the back of his mind if he doesn't do his job, he's going to lose his head. And he also has great affection and compassion for them. But he responded, which is logical, right? I'm afraid. For the Lord, my king, who's ordered me to get you to eat this food and this wine, if you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age. I heard last night, youths. I heard that word, youths. Anyway, go ahead. I'm afraid of the king will have me beheaded. Now, that's, that's a pretty fearful thing. So Daniel then spoke with the attendant. Now, listen, the chief of staff had been approached by Daniel, and he had affection and compassion, but he also had a healthy fear that he could lose his head. So what's he do? He gives them over to his attendant, so he's okay with his attendant losing his head. And his attendant, who'd been appointed by the chief to look after Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and all those guys, Daniel says to him, please test us. How many of you sign up for tests? Nobody signs up for tests. Daniel signs up for tests and says, test us with a diet of vegetables and water. And this is, word vegetables is literally things that come from a seed. So they could have eaten vegetables, they could have eaten fruit, they could have eaten bread. There would have been no meat. Okay? And so they would have eaten this and it would have been a, the Daniel diet. And so here God, through Daniel, God says, test us. It's Daniel's confidence, not in the diet, but that God will be faithful. That he's being faithful even when it doesn't seem like it's everyone else that he's faithful. At the end of the ten days, we see how you look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for ten days. Here Daniel, in his maturity, found a win-win situation. It seemed like a, a doable compromise for both of them. At the end of the ten days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So the guys who had been eating the best food didn't look as healthy as the guys who were just eating vegetables and water. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided to the others. God gave these four men. Here's some of the rewards and benefits of them being faithful. God gave these four men an unusual aptitude for understanding. Their mental clarity. Every aspect of literature and wisdom. God even gave Daniel a special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And probably even in the moment, he didn't understand why he needed it. But here, God is providing something for the future down the road. And when the training period that had been ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought the young men to the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And no one impressed them more or as much as Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the royal service. And as we'll find out, they just didn't enter into the royal service. They were put into special positions within the kingdom. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the other magicians and enchanters in the entire kingdom. Now listen, we can understand, because we get to look back, as we understand that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were worshiping the God of all truth. The God of all wisdom. So when they're talking to God, God's like dispelling wisdom. And the other people, they're talking to Marmaduke. They're crying out and they're getting... They're getting nothing. 
So it shouldn't shock us that they're getting ten times more. They're more mature. They're physically in great shape. There's a mental clarity. There's a spiritual clarity that they have. And again, I want to remind us that young people are integral to the part of our kingdom here, too. 13, 14, 15-year-old standing for their faith in the midst of what seems like faithlessness, these four or five guys got together and said, we are going to remain faithful. And in verse 21, Daniel remained in the service until the first year of King Cyrus, over 70 years. So multiple kings, and he continued to rise up within the king's service. 70 years. Now, think about this. In the midst of all this, the contemporaries of Daniel was this guy named Nehemiah. Y'all heard of Nehemiah? Who was the cupbearer to a king that Daniel was serving in his court. And so what happens? He hears about Jerusalem is in total disrepair. And so I imagine Daniel was over there going, hey, Nehemiah, it's our time. It's our time. Let's, you, I can help you get all those certificates. I, I know the king even better. The two of us, we can Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Surely us together with our influence can have an influence now as for such a time as this. The God that seemed unfaithful has provided us a moment for such a time as this. And so now we get to go back and, and to rebuild Jerusalem even greater than it was before. And, and we're going to be able to tell stories because we were put in this place. And you remember that first Jeremiah 29, 11. Some of you have it on your, all over your little places. What's it say? Yeah. That's from Awanas. Good job, John. For I know the plans I have for you to prosper you. And Jeremiah was a prophet when? When Daniel was in captivity. That's a, that's a promise to the people of captivity. For I know the plans that I have for you. I know what the world has told you, that your God's objects of worship are in the temple and they're leftovers. But I'm not a leftover God. For I know I have what the plans I have for you and the purpose I have for you, and it is to prosper you, but you have to remain obedient and faithful, even in the small things. And so Daniel got to see Jerusalem rebuild. He encouraged Nehemiah. He got to hear the words of Jeremiah and say, yes, God's got a purpose and a plan. It is to prosper us even in a land that's not even our land. He prospers us. It may not be with wealth, but it's with obedience. Small steps of obedience in a long direction leads to prosperity, maturity, and discipline. And think about this. Daniel is influential in the upper court with philosophy, with religion, Astrology, all the major things that they're learning. Y'all heard the Christmas story before? There's these three wise guys that found a footnote somewhere and some scrolls that said, hey, one day there's going to be a star that you've never seen before. Listen, I wholeheartedly believe that Daniel had influence. He had a little APA footnote, an MLA footnote, a Caterabian footnote, and the astrology books that said, hey, God's given me a dream and a vision that one day there's going to be a star. And these astrologers a few years from now are going to need to see this so that when they see that star, they're going to be drawn to Jerusalem to find baby Jesus. 
for such a time as this. Now listen, the nation that he really cared about is gone. Maybe for some of you, the nation you've known is gone. And can I be honest? It's going to go. But the kingdom that matters the most, our object of worship is not leftover junk. We're not worshiping what we've been afforded at this time. We're worshiping the God that puts a footnote in an astrology book that no one else will read but draw men unto himself. And maybe for such a time as this, we are the footnotes in people's lives. That people see in you a man, a woman of integrity that predetermined to stand and to stand back to back and say, listen, I know the world says that's the best food. But I know the food that my God provides will not only sustain me, but will allow me to thrive. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you. You are not surprised. Father, you are not surprised. As a matter of fact, that's why you sent your son to the cross. You had a plan from the beginning. You knew Adam and Eve were going to be in the perfect spot and still mess it up. And that's us. That's our story. So, Father, I pray that we would just lean into you and trust in your ways, even though it may seem like you're unfaithful, that you are Adonai. You are sovereign and faithful. And you want us to just remain faithful to you. Even when the world says you are unfaithful, God, we know that you're not because it's contrary to your character to be be unfaithful to your children. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. There's a verse that some of you know. It's Romans 12, 2. And uh, Romans 12, 2 talks about this idea of um, don't copy the customs and behavior of this world. And that, that idea of don't copy is to don't be pressed in, don't be formed by, don't let the world tell you what you're supposed to look like and talk like and all the different stuff. Don't be pressed in by that, but be transformed, metamorphed, to be transformed from the inside as a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, to be changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. That when you said yes to Jesus, that you received a deposit. That once was something that used to pursue after junk, now because of the deposit of the Holy Spirit. That the objects that are within inside of you are not junk, but you have an object of worship in God and God himself. And it's transforming you. The things that you used to worship, you're throwing away because you realize they're not worthy or not valuable. They're just junk. And every single day, God's saying, I want to metamorph and to change you from the inside out and change the way that you think, literally the way that you see the world, that you put on God's glasses and everything becomes clear. Clear that in the midst of what the world is saying, He is faithful and He's got your back and He will put favor and affection in other people's hearts and minds for you because you are being faithful in those moments.
And then you will know God's will, his perfect and pleasing will just for you. So this morning, our question is, what's God saying to you? Every time we open up his word, every time we sing about him, God's word should be transforming us. Iron sharpens irons. It should be moving us. When we open up God's word, it says it's a mirror to us. And we look and we're like, if it doesn't show exactly back God, there's some things that need to change. He wants to change that in us. The deal is, do we want to do it? So what is God saying to me? And then what am I going to do with it? So this morning, as we have a time of response, the altar's open. You're there. You can write in your notes. God, what are you saying to me? What is it that you want me to do with what I'm hearing from your word this morning? Just stand with me to continue our time. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.